1: Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Not joined by Frank Madden tonight. Much like Giannis, Frank is uh, managing his load tonight. He uh, is still in Vegas, and he might actually be watching the game right now because I know he had a work function. I, I think he was going to uh, Top Golf. So. Shout out to Frank. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he hit him well because I don't know if he's, if he's much of a golfer. We haven't, we haven't got to that uh, conversation yet, but uh, hopefully he's enjoying himself in Vegas. But we do have Justin Garcia, who isn't really even a guest anymore. I think I pointed to this last time. He's been on uh, more times than, than anyone not named Frank. He's still at the arena. It's after midnight. Are you, uh, Justin, are you a still awake, and B, going to get thrown out of Fiserv Forum before we finish up here? You know, I think, uh,
0: I think I've been here later. I forget what game it was, but we've, we've been cutting it pretty close a couple other times. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I've gotten to know a lot of the uh, staff here at Fiserv Forum that's here hours after the game, getting the arena back into shape. So it's been quite a year.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's still, uh, you know, Matt Velasquez and I don't know who else. Some of the writers down there, Charles Gardner's probably hovering around uh, downstairs uh, riding as well. So, but a, a late start, and you know, it always happens on national TV. Even when it it was scheduled for an eight thirty tip, like you know on ESPN, that that's just not going to happen. And obviously, the game before was uh, the the Raptors Clippers game, and they had the ring ceremony where Kawhi, you know, didn't surprise anyone by saying absolutely nothing uh, once he got his ring. But uh, we eventually got to a tip and we're going to touch on Giannis's injury in just uh, a little bit here because I think it's worth talking about. We we heard some comments from Bud pregame, but I think uh, out of respect for the Bucks team that did go out and still <laughs> blow out the Pelicans, we should talk about some of the efforts of these other uh, Bucks guys because they were impressive.
0: Yeah, well, we joked before the game of uh, you talked about ESPN sliding it, and we were pushed back five to seven minutes yeah. on until But we joked that not only would they not slide it, they would just tell the Bucs, "Hey, you know what? Go ahead and just tip the game off at seven thirty, and we'll yeah. start it on ESPN News." <laughs> because the intrigue was gone with no Giannis and with no Zion, and you know, even if Giannis played, the intrigue behind this matchup wasn't there. Um, but I talked about it before the game that what this team has continually done is it's not just one guy replacing someone. When Chris Middleton was out, it was Eric Bledsoe had some big games, and that's when Dante started to play well. Um, And they continue to do that tonight. And the guy that we're not mentioning as much as we should probably, and I saw somebody else, I can't give credit because I can't remember who it was, but I saw somebody else point out tonight that, he isn't going to be mentioned as much as he should be, but George Hill should definitely be in the running for six man of the year.
1: Yeah. I mean, just purely by the numbers. And it's so funny because six Man of the year has become just that numbers award. And that's absolutely not to take away from anything that Lou Williams has done, but uh, you know, putting up as much points, but essentially playing starters uh, minutes, even though he comes off the bench. And I think that's, Probably the thing with George Hill. I mean, again tonight. So uh, and the Bucks do win one twenty seven, one twelve in case anyone uh wasn't aware of that. And it, it was not close. It blew this one was out to uh thirty five twelve. The Bucks took a twenty three point lead in the first quarter. But you touched on George Hill. We yeah, we can start right there. He played nineteen minutes tonight. Uh, 13 points and just, I mean, continues to just shoot the lights out of the ball. It is ridiculous. Five for seven from the field, three for three from uh, deep again. He just doesn't seem like he can miss at the moment. Uh, added three rebounds, three assists. You're right, uh, Justin. We, we, we and Frank spoke about him after the last game, just how reliable he has been. And we probably didn't go as far as to mention six man the year. And I think part of that is just out of uh, the expectation that those guys in LA in particular, they're going to be right up the, the top of the list just because of the minutes they play. Uh, George Hill t- coming into tonight, only averaging 21 uh, minutes per game. But in terms of importance to a team, not just looking at the box score, I would agree. I mean, George Hill has just become vital to this team.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's been on both sides of the floor and I know you and Frank have talked about it, but his, uh, his steal percentage that he has, and we saw it again tonight. I think he had three steals, um, all that just, Everything he does in terms of being the communicator defensively, the steals, the way he protects the basketball, he has been everything you could want him more. And you just keep going back to that trade and wondering, how did the Bucks get George Hill for what they gave up?
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes with these bad teams, and, and it's interesting now, I mean, you look at the Cavs right now, they're in the exact same position that people, are, teams are starting to hover around these veterans that they've got, and they've just got so many of them that probably won out. Uh, George Hill, if you watched him play in Cleveland and you watch him play now, like, there's no way that you would believe this is the same guy. And uh, I pointed before that I think there was some health stuff going on there, but motivation was another one. I mean, we saw the same from him. He wasn't good in Sacramento either. I mean, so, and that's going back quite a few years now. So uh, certainly for people that haven't watched George Hill as closely as, as Bucs fans have, we have uh, since the the second half of last regular season. I mean, you would be shocked if, if you hadn't watched him in three years and you saw him in Sacramento for him to be playing at this high level, uh, you would not believe it. But as we mentioned, Giannis was out tonight and uh, I, I was listening to courtside live your show uh, that that runs on uh, all the social medias for the Bucks before the game. And Chris Milton, you were talking about him being the guy that you would expect to step up. He certainly did that tonight and, and did that with uh, aggression looking for his own shot to start. He finishes with 22 field goal attempts for the night, which is uh, clearly well up on, on his season average. He finished with 24 points, five rebounds, four assists, uh, two steals, just the one turnover for him, which was you know, unfortunate at the time and because uh, the Pelicans you know, we're just threatening to make the game annoying more than in doubt for the Bucks, And it was sort of a poor turnover for Chris. But uh, right from the outset, here, seven points in the first three minutes. He really set the tone. And, and I like the fact that he just went out and said, you know what? And we've seen this before with him. When Giannis is out, he knows, Bledsoe also knows, like, okay, yeah, it's time for me to, to look for my shot a little bit more. And he certainly did that.
0: Yeah, that was big. Uh, and to go back to when, uh, Eric Bledsoe, I mean, it's, there was a handful of guys tonight that we talked about George Hill being three for three. Uh, Eric Bledsoe and and what he did, he was, what, five of six from three and I think 10 of 13 or 10 of 12 from the field. Uh, Chris, surprisingly, didn't really take a lot of threes, but you talked about his offensive efficiency. And what what felt uh, most encouraging was, you know, we touched on some of the outlier performances we've seen from opponents hitting threes and getting open looks at three and yet the bucks are still winning largely because of their interior defense and their offense um, but tonight it you know during this stretch it didn't seem like there were many if any of those hot shooting nights and tonight was definitely one of those where we pointed to all those guys but what was most encouraging was to see you know I know he only hit one but to see a three pointer finally fall for Kyle Korver and to see him knock down some mid-range shots to see Brooke Lopez connect for a couple and what Eric Bledsoe did just The hope, and Wesley Matthews too, just to see it start to go through the net for these guys and see more offense than just relying on 31 from Giannis and who's the second guy to step up.
1: Yeah, the Bucks finished nineteen for thirty-nine uh, from three-point land. Uh, their season high for three-point makes was twenty, and I, I believe that was in that blowout win over Charlotte uh, a week or so ago. So yeah, I mean, this has felt a little bit different this year. Um, you you just mentioned that we we did speak on the on the post-game show uh, after tonight, and that was one of the things that I like about this Bucs team that it hasn't always been. Uh, an avalanche of threes that wins you the game because they've gone through stretches where they haven't been shooting the ball well. And if you go right down the list, and this Bucks team into tonight, uh, Giannis obviously is down at thirty-one. But for him, this has been an improvement from three-point shooting for him. Bledsoe at thirty-one percent, Brook Lopez under thirty uh, percent, Pat Connaughton's down to at thirty-three, Ersan at thirty-one. Uh, and then out of the other guys that are shooting the ball, you know, Robin Lopez is down at 31% as well. So some of the guys that you would expect to be (laughs) shooting the ball well, and Kyle Korver, as you mentioned, 12 uh, for 45 from three, uh, under 30% coming into this game over the last 10. So yeah, it was nice to see some of the shots fall. And uh, one of of the things, I mean, you mentioned Eric Bledsoe. For him, uh, I think me and Frank have spent a lot of time talking about him over the last week or so, just because he's been in one of those stretches where he tends to go missing offensively. And if I look at the game logs for Eric Bledsoe, even though the Bucs have been winning and they've been winning by a lot and Giannis has been dominating and everything's been functioning really well for the Bucs, it is kind of puzzling sometimes to see how, how Bledsoe does disappear. And, and while he's become a better distributor, I think, and smart with the ball and this season in particular making better decisions uh, as a passer, uh, scoring-wise, this last little stretch, he, he had a 28-point game and then a 30-point game, and he's followed that up with 11, 13, 9, 10, 2, 6, 13, 10, 6. So he hasn't had a game where he scored more than 13 points for a long while here. And for him to come out tonight and uh, have 29 points, still get his six assists, uh, importantly, that he wasn't just looking to score. He was still playing that all-around role. But for him... This is good to see. It's good to see him get back looking to be aggressive, looking to score the ball. Yes, the three ball uh, fell for him tonight, but he also got into the pain where he's so damaging.
0: Yeah, you know, the 29 points, and it was what? On 13 shots,
1: too. You talk about efficiency.
0: Yeah, and he's had that stretch that, you know, you talked about the the individual box scores there, but he had that stretch of two or three games in a row where, I mean, I remember the Clippers game too, looking up and you saw he had four or five assists before he even took a shot. And you thought, oh, wow, this is – it's that version of Eric Bledsoe that we're getting yeah. now. And we had that for a couple games. You had the, you know, beginning of the month of November when he scored 20 or more in five straight. Then later in the month he had the stretch of 30-point games – that, you know, I, I go back and forth a lot of times on him. Uh, we've talked about both these guys, but Brooke Lopez, it's 25 games, but he has definitely played much better this season, I think, than he did last season, which I think would surprise some people that maybe haven't been with this team every day so far. That, you know, we haven't seen the three-pointers fall, and Brooke was scoring a little bit more last year, but his defense has been that much better that, you know, you can make a very strong case he's been better this season. I go back and forth on Eric Bledsoe that, you know, I think a lot of times we just look at the slow start from when he clearly wasn't healthy. But, you know, he'll have performances like tonight, and he had those other stretches we talked about where I think, at the very least, he is just as good as he was a season ago, and at times he's playing better. But he is, you know, I don't even know the answer to this, but he is the most polarizing Bucks player since when? Like even today, leaving the booth during halftime and coming back upstairs just before the third quarter started, when I was walking up the steps to get back to the booth, I kid you not, I walked past three different conversations that people were having in the stands about Eric Bledsoe where somebody was taking a pro Bledsoe stance and somebody was against it
1: well you know what the problem is and and they spoke about this and it was interesting actually uh and i every time i just want to clear this up because every time i mention that I, i'm watching the national broadcast uh people will comment on twitter and, uh they're like oh you should be watching marcus and jim and and i would like to but when they're on ESPN in australia that's what i got so uh it is what it is but Chancey billups was on the call uh tonight and and I really like listening to Chansey and he was uh, obviously a teammate of Bledsoe's when he was a lot uh younger at the Clippers and he said that over this past summer and I sort of uh, I was looking up some other stats and I only caught a, a little bit of this conversation but he said that he spoke to he's spoken to Bledsoe a lot about uh it's not the physical game with Bledsoe but it's about the mental side for him and uh uh, Billups was just talking about the fact that, listen, he thinks that athleticism wise, skill wise, he's a better player than Billups was. But he said mentally, uh, no, I, I'm better than he was. And you would agree with that. And that's what it is with Bledsoe. And that's why, uh, people are because they think to themselves, okay, well, yeah, that's great. But we've seen him do this before. We need to see it in the playoffs. And, uh, that that's you know, it's kind of harsh for Bledsoe because we've seen him be good now for over two seasons in the regular season he's been an, an amazing player but that's what people will remember and that's why you're going to get these people that will look at a game like tonight for him and say yeah well yeah he got 29 points but he was five for six from three he's a 33 percent career shooter from deep he got lucky tonight he hit some buckets it's it's not fair but that's what we're going to be uh, looking at with blood so right up until we get to april may
0: yeah, I, I understand why people do it, and it, it's just that. It's people look at, you know, Eric Bledsoe could have six straight games where he scored 30 points for this team, and the Bucks go 6-0, and but um, you know, for at least half of the fans out there, it's always going to come back to, great, do it in May.
1: Yeah, no doubt, and I do want to sort of pivot now a little bit here to back to Middleton a little bit because I, something that I was looking at during the middle stretch of this game, we already touched on 24 points. He was great, 11 for 22 from the field. So 50% uh, shooting is fine. That's an efficient night for Chris. He continues to uh, really be close to a 50, 40, 90 numbers. I mean, he's quietly putting together a really efficient scoring season. But uh, what I noticed tonight... And it's just an interesting trend when you look at Chris Milton. It looked to me that he was getting pretty frustrated with the officials. And I thought during the second and third quarter in particular, he was probably looking for that whistle a little bit too much on those jump shots. Now, I will say that I think he gets a horrible whistle. We talk about Giannis struggling for calls and the charge and block calls with Giannis that we never really understand. Can you ever remember Chris Milton getting an easy whistle on a jump shot like he, he occasionally he'll get those ones where he'll get the defender up in the air and and he'll he'll get a jump shot but he just seems to be, have to fight through a lot of contact on those jump shots particularly in those post-ups and he doesn't get the calls and if you look at his per 36 numbers for free throw attempts per game uh, he's at his lowest mark since the 2014-15 season for getting to the free throw line and that's despite the fact that his field goal attempts have continued to rise through the season see so he, he just he doesn't get a whistle
0: no, and we – this has been a couple of games, um, if not in a row, two or three in a stretch of somewhere from three to five games where we've started to see this more and more, where we've seen a more frustrated Chris Middleton with the officiating. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, just look at tonight where this was a game the Bucks basically dominated from start to finish. And to speak to that point of uh, the whistle that he gets, but really a lot of guys on this team – the Bucs were assessed two technical fouls, and the Pelicans had none, and the Bucs dominated this game. We saw Bud teed up, and we saw you know, Brooke Lopez, the only other guy who we've seen just as frustrated, if not more, with officiating than Chris Middleton lately.
1: Yeah, so when you look at the numbers for free throw attempts per game for the Bucs, uh, Eric Bledsoe averaging 2.9 free throw attempts per game, which, you know, again, is a, is a, that's a low number. Uh, that's the second guy on the Bucs' team. Giannis is obviously up at 108 spends a lot of time at the free throw line we know that Uh, but then it drops right off to Bledsoe I mean um this team doesn't get a lot of calls only nine free throw attempts tonight to 22 for the Pelicans it it doesn't make a lot of sense for for a team that that dominated the, the paint battle tonight
0: well you know and I agree and the only thing I can think of even though we saw you know this is a team that lived in the paint last year as well but you brought it up earlier when we were talking about some of the shooting struggles they had early that, you know, if you only came in and took in a handful of Bucks games throughout the season last year and this year, you would assume, like number one, they have the MVP in Giannis and how great he is. But you would assume this is just a three-point shooting team. And the only thing I can think of is that's the same assumption of, you know, this is a jump shooting team. We don't reward that with free throws.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and listen, like we, we know that the, the free throw attempts and the whistle is... Uh, I mean, it doesn't always play out this way, but the Giannis has taken a long time to to get even this respect, even though uh, he's become now a player that almost gets fouled on on, on every uh, shot that he takes, certainly around the rim. And we've seen the frustration from him. But it's just something to note from Chris because I agree. This is something we've seen now for a couple of games from him. And to be honest, even though things were going well for the Bucs and they had a big lead tonight, I did think that uh, it seemed like it was something he was focusing on uh, a lot. And it probably... Uh, took him out of taking some of those really high percentage shots that we saw him take. And when you go back uh, to that last sort of minute or two minutes of the game where Chris came in and nailed those two shots, he wasn't looking for contact on those. He was just simply getting to his spots. And that's that's when he is at his best. Uh, but I will maintain that. I, I think he's getting a, a pretty rough whistle all season long, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it, and it's, it's, you know, as we just went over, it's been a handful of guys that have uh, really been plagued by that this season. but. um you know, we've seen some of the frustration that Chris has worn and Brooke Lopez especially. But despite that, I mean, this team just plows on.
1: No, they do. I mean, I, I didn't even know if I mentioned it at the top, but I mean sixteen wins in a row now. Uh that's uh ties the second longest, is that right, from nineteen seventy one? I think they had a sixteen winning uh, sixteen they, game winning streak and a twenty.
0: Uh yeah, the, the year they won the championship, they had a sixteen and twenty, and then they had we had another 16. I think it was 73, where it stretched over two seasons. So I don't know. Eh, we don't count that. I mean, the Bucks are going to count it, yeah. But it depends on on what your criteria is. So if they win on Friday, then that would be the second longest alone in franchise history.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy run, and and something that we mention a lot, but. Yeah, this this is a team that won sixty games last year. I believe they're on about seventy-two uh, win pace at the moment. And uh, for as dominant as they were last season, and we, we uh, this, the streak that we were watching last year was oh, are they going to lose back-to-back games? Uh, that only happened uh, once with, with that up uh, oh, in the regular season. I mean, you know, come on, yeah, in the regular season once with that uh, Phoenix loss uh, and Utah as well on that West Coast trip, but. The longest winning streak they had, I believe, was seven it was that the start of the season i don 't think they went they didn't, i don't think they went longer than that so uh, now, to think about the six, 16 game winning streak i mean that Utah game just feels so like it was forever ago.
0: They had two streaks of seven last year um and the utah game i i i think if they would have so. Uh, Well, we keep pointing to, hey, they're a Bojan Bogdanovic buzzer beater away from, you know, who knows if you lose in overtime if he doesn't hit that shot. But let's just assume they win that. I think I saw if that would have been the case, today would have broken the record for most consecutive women. Today would have been 21, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that—that's the crazy thing to think about when you think about the way that uh, that game ended, and also just the fact that this uh, this team was started two and two, and now they find themselves uh, twenty two and three. But uh, I do before we get to Giannis, and we are going to get to the Giannis injury. But I, it would be, I think it would be just flat out wrong if we don't tip our hat to Erstaniusova, who just <laughs> continues to just be a productive player. I feel like we're at the point now where you could, uh, I don't know, something could happen to you and you could wake up tomorrow and it would be 2038 and you switch on a Milwaukee Bucks game and Ersan Uysoba is either starting for an injured star or coming off the bench and just getting uh, layups all night long, cut into the basket and for some reason the opposition completely forget that he's on the floor and he gets an open layup.
0: And you know, when we talked about how polarizing Eric Bledsoe was, Ursan Silva's contract might be just as polarizing, where you had that segment of fans that thought, why is this a 1201 signing and why are you giving them this many years? But what we have seen is there's something to be said for just going out and getting the pieces that fit your system, regardless of if you overpaid or not. To have that and to have production, rather than just making a bad signing altogether, is one thing. But every time, and it seems like it's always Urson, and I get the reasons why because of the contracts that you have to match in NBA trades. But every time you see, hey, what if the Bucks targeted this guy? And it's always Urson Ilyasova that's included because of the eight or so million that he makes and one year left. I, there's I just see zero chance that this team moves Urson because of things like this and how much trust he has and that bud has in him.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I'm so, I'm almost like, I'm getting to that point because when uh, you look at the, the bucks depth chart and yeah, they got uh, a couple of big centers there, obviously with the, with the Lopez uh, brothers and, and we've spoke a little bit about Sterling Brown, you know, playing the four, but that's not something you want to rely on in the playoffs I don't think Ersan's been there. He's done that. He's played good basketball in the playoffs before. Yeah, he's unconventional. Sometimes he's, uh, you know, frustrating to watch, possibly. He he is streaky. He's a streaky shooter. But for the most part, you know that he's a smart defender. He gets in the right spots. And, geez, he's just so valuable in that offensive glass. I mean, how many times a game do you see him tipping the ball up about 73 times in one possession and then eventually getting fouled or getting a, a bucket? I mean, I agree. I understand why he gets included in these trades. I've been... Uh, you know, you, I've been guilty of doing that as well. I, every time I think of a possible guy that the Bucs can get, you naturally include him because the Bucs just don't have those mid-range contracts that are movable. And and Ersan's essentially an expiring. So if they are going to make a move, it's probably going to be him included. But geez, it's, the longer this goes, the tougher it's going to be to to put him in there. And that's even with DJ Wilson behind, who we know that uh, people want to see out there. They want to see him develop. I, I would agree. I would like to see... What DJ has, because I think that is valuable to this Bucks team as well. Finding out what they've got in him. But right now, uh, you know, Ersan just hasn't put a foot wrong, and his shooting's starting to come around as well. He's back up above thirty percent from three after you know being down at twenty five for a while. Uh, Eighteen points, nine rebounds, <laughs> three assists, and zero turnovers today on eight for ten shooting from the field. I mean, he was just spectacular replacing Giannis.
0: You have you, you talk about the the 73 tips out of possession he had the, i mean the one today too, the vintage Urson, where he gets <laughs> the the tap in as he's falling down and draws a foul and it just it seems like every year that ursan is on the roster and especially this year and last year when this team is playing for something even more you just know you have those what two or three uh segments of the calendar a year where you start to question, well, is it over for him? It, that yeah. the shooting slump is there and maybe he's done. And then here comes play like this.
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, he's the guy that just continue, continues to bounce back. And and every time the Bucks are on national TV, they praise and Iogosova constantly. And they're just like, this guy just does all the right things. And it's hard to argue. He does. <laughs> and like well, I said. I,
0: you know, I remember last year too, when uh, early in the season, when the 76ers were here the first time, <laughs> And hearing Brett Brown yeah. talk about Urson before the game and just how much they missed him and everything he brought to the team. Like, that's what every coach does that Urson plays for.
1: Yeah, I mean, you just not to get too sidetracked here, but you talk about a team that could probably use Ersan on his server. It's uh, the Sixers who, mind you, uh, another guy they could probably use is JJ Reddick for the Pelicans tonight who had a, a season-high 31 points. But uh, that's, a, that's a completely another story. But uh, before we wrap it up here, before you do get kicked out of fire serve, I I, I do want to touch on Giannis and he missed the game. And last time you were on, we both sort of speculated that we thought he was going to miss a game soon. We were both wrongly predicted. He was going to miss one of those back to backs, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember who they played in that one, but, uh, he, he's kind of surprisingly misses this one tonight. And I only say that because, uh, they do, the bucks do have a back to back this weekend against Memphis and, uh, also Cleveland. So, uh, Giannis missed with right quad tendon soreness. Now, this was a little bit surprising because we've seen Giannis miss games before and we know now that teams can't just say he's resting, particularly on a national TV game. They need to say it's something. Uh, but the fact they didn't go with the the right knee soreness makes you think, okay, well, I mean, he must have some soreness in his quad. I mean, there's, there's no reason to, to make that up. And Bud mentioned before the game that... Uh, he said there was some soreness, and he said there was some significant soreness. He wasn't able to go and shoot around, uh, and and go through a shoot around as he normally would with the team. Uh, it sounds like this is a pretty legit injury.
0: Um, I'm trying to be careful of what I say here. I mean, it sounds legitimate, and then on the one hand, you look out there at halftime where Yonis is there. <laughs> rebounding for his teammates as they're going through the layup drills and think, so his quad is sore and he's out here doing this. But uh, I was surprised too, because, you know, I think that, what was that? The Cavs Hornets back to back, maybe that we both thought there's one of these that he's going to miss. And I started to think the same with this weekend with the Friday, Saturday. Um, But, you know, when, when we found out this afternoon that he was out, I was initially surprised But it was a good point by – Ted Davis brought it up when we were talking that, you know, you rest in this game and that essentially gives him three days off before a back-to-back. And even then, maybe he still only plays one of those two, especially given what we've seen this team do to the opposition, that these are those pockets on the schedule where you can just say, hey, you're going to get a lot of rest. Although I think you and I talked about this last week too, that I'm still torn on – how much load management he's going to get just because when you run through you know we talked about Eric Bledsoe's box scores go through Giannis and he played 35 minutes on Monday and that was the longest in close to 10 games I think where it was also 35 that it's been around 20 20 in one of those games 22 28 minutes that that's basically how they've done load management with him this season
1: yeah so there's a couple things that that come to my mind when I think about this and, and the fact that Giannis set out this game. First of all, if you remember back to that uh, Clippers game with uh, uh, Kawhi and the fact that the Clippers ended up getting fined 50k, I believe it was, for the wording around this. So that was an ESPN game. Tonight was an ESPN game. If Giannis was a little bit sore and they decided, and you know, if you want to be the conspiracy theory here and say that Giannis is completely fine, there was no soreness, they just wanted to rest him, they think they're gonna beat the Pelicans anyway. The Pelicans' defense is just awful. And they're like, okay, we're gonna we know we're gonna score enough points to beat this team. They need to get they need to be pretty clear about, oh, well, this is what the injury is, he was pretty sore. Uh so you know, from that point of view, it makes you sort of go, okay, well, whatever. Bud's going to say whatever the hell he's going to say. It doesn't really matter. He has to say something or else the Bucs are going to get fined. So uh, that's the first point. And then secondly, yeah, I, I would say that uh, with Giannis, coming into to this back-to-back uh, here, you look at the teams the Bucks have played. This is something that I've been thinking about for a while here now. If Milwaukee, if Giannis plays and the Bucks lose to a bad team, I don't think they're learning anything from that. Like You don't learn anything from uh, losing to a bad team because you don't have to worry about what that, that team is going to uh, present to you in the playoffs. And what I mean by that is, I think if the Bucs are going to lose to a bad team, it's going to be on an outlier shooting performance either way or perhaps a double outlier where the Bucs can't hit a bucket, the opposite, opposition team goes ballistic from three, and, uh, and they beat you that way. The games that the Bucs really, really want Giannis to be healthy in uh, the games against good teams because that's where they're going to see legitimate coverages on Giannis. Teams try and stop him in different ways, like the Clippers game, like the Boston game, the Miami game early in the season. The Raptors are another team. So with this Dallas Mavericks-Lakers double coming up next week, uh, you know, I mean, this is a great time to get Giannis some rest. If there's any soreness there, let's make sure that he's good to go in those prime matchups because that's where the Bucs are going to learn things against genuine playoff contenders. And let's be real, we're saying to this point, there's not that many teams that you can say, okay, yeah, they could actually contend with the Bucs in the, in the playoffs. There's just not.
0: No, it's a good point. And uh, you get the feeling with uh, some of the gamesmanship that goes on in the league that if it was Craig Councilman coaching the Bucs instead of uh, Bud, that we would see things like Giannis plays tonight knowing, hey, there's going to be a play early on where he's going to draw a foul. And then pulled out, and no intention of bringing him back in the game. that That's what you use as, oh, two minutes in, Giannis is out for the game. We want to rest his knee. He took, a, he took a shot on that foul. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree that you don't need him in these games. And as we, we talked about on the post game and, and the number of times, they're going to win a lot of games without, like, well, last year he didn't play in 10, and I think there were four and six. I mean, depending on those games this year, if he misses 10 games based off what we've seen for how deep this team is and you know because of the games you we would assume he would miss that you just went through they're probably going to go something like seven and three at worst
1: yeah I mean I would I would agree I mean I sort of nearly talked myself into thinking I oh, know Giannis this could be interesting tonight the Pelicans have some talented individual players I flagged that to Frank in the podcast yesterday that you know, when you look at down their roster, they've got some pretty good players, but uh, there's something just missing in New Orleans. I don't know. They are completely rudderless. I mean, what we saw in the first half, uh, I mean, that was it was too easy for the Bucks, and and they've got a lot of quality down the roster, Milwaukee, obviously, but uh, it, it again, it was just too easy. So the Bucks beat the Pelicans one twenty-seven, one twelve, sixteenth win in a row. They're twenty-two and three. Justin thank you for staying up late we're now approaching one o'clock in the morning it sounds like there's a lot of cleaning going up uh going on around you as probably everyone wants to go home this was a late one
0: yeah it that appears to be the case
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you for jumping back on like I said you're not really a guest at this point you're just uh just the just the regular uh to wrap up these Bucks games and probably at some point in a few weeks I think we should try and uh Get Ted to hang around and, and, and wrap up a game uh, here on the podcast if we can at some point. Well, that's
0: going to be easier said than done. You know his schedule and, and how much Ted loves to get out of here minutes after the game ends.
1: Uh, we might, I mean, we might have to, I don't know, we might have to time down or something, but we'll see. We'll see. Ted, we, we've been talking a little bit. To, uh, his phone plan didn't cover uh, phone calls to Australia, so we haven't been able to get him on yet, but he has promised at some point he 's going to be he 's going to be on, but maybe maybe it'll be after practice it might be a little bit too late for him, but we are going to leave it there as i said bucks twenty two and three now sixteen in a row they have a double header on the weekend. They travel to Memphis to play Ja Moran, who by the way uh <laughs> Put my uh, fellow countryman Aaron Baines on one hell of a poster tonight, just the latest uh, time that Aaron Baines has been dunked into oblivion. And then they get the Cats. So we'll see if this streak is going to continue before they get the Mavs and the Lakers. For Justin Garcia and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll be back tomorrow.